This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Rich Lisk had a tough decision going from the casino to the island, but it's going to be even tougher finding a new head coach and GM of the Riptide. Plus, the NLL Award nominees will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, and the PLL Island is going to Utah? All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast right here on the Lacrosse Flash, Spotify, SoundCloud, and NLL Radio, even on the iTunes and wherever you get your listening music. Uh, my name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We are into the second week of June. And we have lacrosse in sight. The PLL Island, a little three-week self-quarantine tournament is going to take place in July, where the Olympics coverage was supposed to be on NBC Sports, and they have a destination. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. We've got Rich Lisk as our one and only guest this week, and he doesn't need a secondary marquee. He is the headliner. He is the executive vice president of GF Sports. He is working as basically the head honcho and the overseer for the New York Riptide. And he's got some tough decisions to make. And the first tough decision was taking the job with the Riptide, leaving the New England Black Wolves, who he helped really build as their general manager to be one of the powerhouses in the East. They were still looking to get over that final hurdle, but they're getting there. And the pieces that they that he helped bring in and the work that he did along with head coach Glenn Clark, that New England Black Wolves team is, is pretty well built. And I think that's what he hopes to do with the New York Riptide. Unfortunately, the ground base that they have right there isn't the strongest, but they have some key pieces. And they have some great talent and some good veterans. Is he going to be able to find somebody to fill those holes as the general manager and find somebody that could put all those pieces together and get them to work as one cohesive unit on the floor as the head coach. So we'll ask him, what did Reggie do wrong? Could he have done more? Who's going to be the new guy? Is it going to be the same guy? So we'll talk a lot with Rich Lisk. He is one of my favorite guests ever on this show. And he's always so honest and open. But we can also talk lacrosse. And he has a hilarious Ric Flair story. Um, that kind of suits Ric Flair. Don't forget, if you want to get yourself some solid lacrosse gear, you got to go to the Lacrosse Flash website, lacrosseflash.com. Check out the merch. Get yourself a big team guy shirt, a sticker. Join the OMG unit. Get yourself a t-shirt. Whatever you need, you got to get the freshest gear. Check out lacrosseflash.com and hit up the store. But before we get to Rich Lisk, 
couple housekeeping notes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the Canadian Lacrosse Association Hall of Fame, actually the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame, uh, announced their class of 2020. Going in as players, Jamie Batley, Cam Bomberry, Michael Bauer, Ted Dowling. As a veteran, Peter Burge, Builders, Paul Day, and Joey Harris, along with the St. Catharines Junior A Athletics Junior Team from 1990-1991. Congratulations to all of those players. Uh, Jamie Batley, uh, we all know as an NLL player and head coach, but had a great um, run in the CLA as well as a player and as a coach, Cam Bomberry of the legendary Bomberry family, Ted Dowling, uh, got to play with him here in Victoria. Uh, one of the best left-handed creasemen, off-ball guys uh, the game has seen. Uh, I would love to see Teddy D get into the NLL Hall of Fame, but that's a, a story for another day. And then Joey Harris, the longtime commissioner of the CLA. I think, um, what did Chris Williams say on Jake's show? It was 16 years not Chris Williams, Sean Williams, sorry. Uh, Sean Williams, the new CLA commissioner, took over for Joey Harris and said that Joey had been the CLA commissioner for like 16 years. Unbelievable. Uh, Paul Day as a builder, and um, I have not enough great things to say about Paul Day. It was my first and last coach in the National Lacrosse League. Um, Another guy like Rich Lisk, who is open, honest, engaging, but just one of my dearest friends that I have acquired throughout my travels in the lacrosse world, and I have all the time in the world for Paul, and I'm so happy that uh, he has been bestowed with this honor along with everybody else, including the St. Catharines Junior Athletics from 1990-91. So they will be uh, the class of 2020, and I believe that'll probably get done later on this year, Uh, probably late in the summer, maybe even early in the fall. The National Lacrosse League, even though they had a shortened season, will indeed announce their 2019-2020 NLL Awards. All teams uh, are have been asked to submit their nominees. And league-wide nominees will most likely be announced in the next couple of weeks. They kind of, I believe from what I was told, they want to have it done by the end of June. And then there will be an online award show done probably in July. So we've got that to look forward to. Uh, and I know us at the Lacrosse Flash will be putting out uh, our voted on league awards in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll get those things out to you as well. So there'll probably be some differences here and there. But uh, the way this season went, I think a lot of people's votes will be the same for a few certain categories. Others will be wide open. I think rookie the, the Rookie of the Year is wide open. I think GM of the year is going to be a heated race. Maybe even head coach of the year, executive of the year. Transition player of the year will definitely be a toss-up as it always is. Even goalie of the year. There's there's not too many clear-cut winners. 
I think we could probably all agree that Callum will get MVP and Graham Hossick will get Defender of the Year. Outside of that, I'm not sure there's one bona fide correct answer. So I'm very interested to see how the nominees go, because that's always a telling sign. And then once the nominees are out, who the actual winner is going to be. It will be very interesting. Because if I got, you know, if you were to give me a few votes for each, I could put Graham Hossick in MVP, Defender, and Transition, and that just clutters everything up. Goalie of the year, where do you go? Do you go the youngsters and Higgy, Dougie J, and Warren Hill? Or do you got to give love to a guy like Dylan Ward who continues to put up strong numbers and keep goals out for Colorado? Transition, always wide open, as I said. It's, that, is, that transition is always the most scrutinized award because we don't have a true definition of what a transition player is. But it adds for excitement and talking points and discussion. And that's what life is all about, right? Speaking of picks, the National Lacrosse League and the All Talk No Action crew, myself, Devin Caney, Pat Gregoire, and Ashley Docking have built our fantasy dream teams. Uh, you can go to the NLL socials and find the bracket. Uh, you get six players, you get $20, and there's dollar values of one through five. You get to pick your team. And we all picked ours. Uh, everyone else has kind of been ch- chiming in, including a lot of the players, even a lot of shade being thrown around by the players and fellow broadcasters, which is great because that's what this was all about. And I will let you know, my team, I went a little strategic. I had kind of put some irons in the fire before I went into this draft. I had talked to some players that were going to be on my team and see if I could, you know, massage the system, as it were. So in the front door, I got Mark Matthews, Ryan Lee, and Randy Stotts in transition. I've got Zach Courier, Mr. Everything, or Mr. Win Everything, I should say. Out the D-gate, Graham Hossack, and in between the pipes, Dylan Ward, of course. But then I pulled off a move. Strategically, I'd asked Randy Stotts if there was any way he would take a family discount. Give a buck back. I can add that dollar to the extra dollar that I had left over and give his brother Austin Stotts two bucks to join our team. So now I massaged the system, and I got seven players, two rights, two lefts, a D, transition, and a goaltender. Sure, some may say that's not playing within the rules, but as a general manager, you have to listen to every possibility out there. And that was a possibility that we could get Austin Stotts on our team, and I wasn't going to pass that up, so... The West Side Generals are, as Pat Gregoire would say, a wagon. Appreciate your feedback on how great my team is going to be. Thank you very much.
Finally, before we get to Rich Lisk. Since my conversation with Trevor Baptiste two weeks ago or last week, and since everything that's been going on, I hope you have all started to do some introspective looking at yourselves, your life around you, the things that go on in your day-to-day and how you react to things and how you say things. And are you more careful with your words? Are you starting to censor yourself with what you used to say in a joking manner and now realize the insensitivities of it all? And I found myself doing that. I have found myself trying to stray away from the edgier jokes or side remark comments, the memes, the, the funny little inside jokes that we all kind of have with our friends. And I hope you have noticed that there are so many things that we just unconsciously say or do that can be strewn by others and taken the wrong way. And we never really think about those things. But now, because of everything that's going on, we kind of have to be, not walk on eggshells, but we just have to be a little more conscious of what we're saying and how we're saying it and who we're saying it to and where we're saying it. And I hope this allows us to become better people. Because, yeah, I was always one to, to crack a funny joke that may have had racial undertones to it. I wasn't being racist. It was just one of those jokes that we told as kids. Um, there was a game that we always used to play going up and down the island, traveling for lacrosse when we got into the town of Duncan. There's a bridge that goes into Duncan. We called it the Buddy Bridge. And we always used to guess how many Native American people there would be on the bridge. It was something we did to pass the time, but when you think about it, it's pretty insensitive. It's a stupid game. It's ridiculous, but it was something we did as kids. And I even know now we still joke about it and do it, but not anymore because I realize where we're at. And A, I'm 40. It's a little much for me to be doing as a 40-year-old. Like, Think about the things that you do in the day-to-day and think about the things you can change to make yourself better. Because if you're helping to make yourself better, you're doing all you can to make yourself a better person for everybody else. And I, I still go back and listen to the conversation with Trevor. And I listen to Joe Van Miller's conversations. And I listen to things that Kyle Miller is saying. And go back and listen to Billy D. Smith with, with Jake and Pat on the Lacrosse Classified they just did this week. Listen to those conversations, talk to those people, and allow yourself to become better. Not just for them, but for yourself. Because I think that is very, very important. And those little steps will help us become a better society, all told. To Rich Lisk. He was brought in by GF Sports from the New England Black Wolves to help oversee GF Sports in general. But as things went along, they realized they needed an overseer for the lacrosse club. 
And he was bestowed that opportunity. And so he sat back and he watched and he listened and he talked to people. And he gathered as much information as he could about the club without really getting his hands in the pot. And what it allowed him to do was take stock of what was going on inside and out the, outside of the club and see what was working and what wasn't. And it led him to a decision that wasn't easy. And that was to relieve Reggie Thorpe of his duties as head coach and general manager, plus relieve all of the coaching staff as well. So he has a foundation of a team that he needs to work around. And he has a brand new coaching staff and lacrosse staff that he'll need to bring in. It's not going to be easy. But he does have the number one overall in the draft coming up. And that could lead him to Jeff Teat. And if it does lead him to Jeff, Jeff Teat, that will allow him to continually build that New York Riptide group around Tyson Gibson, around Dan McCray, around Dan Lomas, and around a generational talent like Jeff T. There are some great pieces. They need a lot of help, in my opinion, on the back end, and I really believe they need help and goal. But those are all things that Rich Lisk has taken stock in and is in the process of finding the solution to make it all go. Pride, passion, promise, premiere. The four Ps. How will Rich Lisk implement those into his plan to turn the New York Riptide around? We'll find out right now here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Rich Lisk, Executive Vice President of GF Sports and the man in charge of reigniting the flame that is the New York Riptide. Rich, how are you, sir? Good, Teddy. How you doing, brother? Uh, I can't complain. It's uh, another day out here in the West Coast. You're walking with your daughter in the woods. Are you being safe? Yes, 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 yes. And the good thing is at the end of this path, there was a Starbucks. We were even <laughs> safer going into Starbucks and safer coming out of Starbucks. So, so Starbucks uh, literally good, is yeah. everywhere. Starbucks literally is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's it in is, the woods. It is everywhere. Uh, yeah, we've been, I mean, we've been good. Yeah, good. You've been keeping safe and, and sound and healthy over these wild past few months? Yeah, you know, I'm home in New Jersey. We um, haven't moved yet physically through Long Island. We have an apartment, but we were selling our house. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the, um, co- you know, when the COVID hit, they, they, we didn't get a chance to put it up yet. So we've been fixing it up, getting rid of stuff, changing bathrooms. And uh, I've, had the lo- I've had the great opportunity to have all three of my kids home at the same time, you know, being 25, 22, and 20, they would have been off in different directions. Mm-hmm. So for the last 11 weeks, we've had many of ping pong games and <laughs> Netflix movies and dinners and things. And uh, it's been exciting to have that part of it. Yeah, I, guess I, I, look, uh, I look forward to that part of it. Yeah, I guess that's a bit of a silver lining. Um, you know, everyone's kind of got their own silver linings, but having your kids around when you normally wouldn't, that's got to be a special moment. Yeah, it's been really good. Everyone's set up in their rooms. My daughter's working out of her room. My son works out of his room. I'm in my room. My other son finished up school. We actually had a new addition. My uh, older son's girlfriend moved here from Alaska. She took a job in uh, Pennsylvania, so she moved in this week. 
Uh, we had a great steak dinner with a bottle of wine last night on the deck, so uh, I, I can't complain. Um, moving to Long Island, uh, is that going to be a big change for you? It is. I was, uh, born and bred in New Jersey. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it is going to be different. How I've reconciled this in my head, being from New Jersey and a diehard Springsteen fan and being from the Jersey shore, I am going to an Island that is surrounded by water on both sides. So that is a huge uh, a selling factor for me. I want to be at the beach and, and that's just my happy place and stuff. So uh, it's not that far from home. It's about an hour and a half from where we grew up and family. So again, I can justify uh, the hour and a half. I, I did live further when we were in Stanford, Connecticut at one point. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. We've made some good friends there so far. And, uh, and once I can get there permanently, it'll be great. How have you noticed the change in, in your town, in your city, with everything that's been going on since last weekend? Uh, are the streets safer? Are people adjusting to um, the protest versus riot lifestyle where you are? Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of sandwiched between where I live at Lawrenceville, New Jersey. So about seven miles south of me is Trenton, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's our state capital. And they've had some protesting, and, and I thought the protesting in the afternoon was, was great. And they had one of the more first viral videos break out where uh, the police officer stepped forward and talked to the crowd and dealt with them, and the whole staff did. And then, you know, then the looting started at night and, and things like that, but they got it under control pretty quickly and, and with no violence, which was, which was great. And then I'm about 45 minutes south from Newark, where they've been having some good protests. So, from what I can see, um, I think New Jersey itself has really handled itself pretty well uh, with everything. And, and listen, I, uh, I don't disagree with what's going on out there. There's a lot of, uh, I know we don't want to get too political on this and, and things like that, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a divide that needs to be fixed. And I think the protests and stuff have nothing to do with the looting and, and all of the violence and stuff, but, you know, the protests are the backbone of what this country has done. And, um, and to bring us together, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's a very powerful message that needs to be heard. I, I agree 100%. Uh, we bring you on because you've had to make a tough decision uh, in the last little while. You've actually had to make two tough decisions. What was the toughest one? Leaving New England where you helped really revitalize that organization after the move from Philadelphia, or was it harder to call Reggie Thorpe? I thought you were going to ask me about wrestling. That's what I was oh, oh, excited about. Get there. So. <laughs> you know we're going to get there. Don't worry. I know. Um, listen, the last time I came on, I think you know how hard it was for me to uh, to talk about leaving New England. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's actually it's actually kind of funny. Um, I, I talked to those guys and and I said, you know, this is it. You know, you move on, but you never forget your first love. Now the, mm-hmm. the weird part about that is, is I married my first love. We've been together for 35 years, so I've never had another one. <laughs> so that's a joke. We joke around about that, but um, it was hard. Don't get me wrong, and I think you saw my emotions the last time that I was on the podcast with you of how hard it was, mm-hmm. um, and it was really hard talking to Reggie. Um, I want to say, and, and a lot of people you know this world probably better than I do. There's rumors. There's phones. There's this. There's that. Mm-hmm. Everyone has an opinion and stuff. And, and I'm a big proponent of hearing it right from my mouth. And, uh, and first and foremost, I want to tip my hat to Reggie and the staff and what they did here. It, what they did was not a, a, a small task. When I came to New England, 
we had 10 weeks to put that together, but you know, we had a team, we had players, we had certain aspects. I mean, they put this together from scratch, literally a staff players office. Reggie was involved in our grassroots and things like that and, and has done a tremendous job. He set a foundation here that we're going to build off of. And, and I tip my hat to him and his staff. So it was hard to be the guy to come in and, and put together the plan for the long range. And I've said this before, you know, Reggie was in charge of watching the team and I'm in charge of the organization. Mm. And sometimes what goes on with the team and the organization are two different things. And, and I, like I said to Reggie and, and, and the whole staff, when I talked to them, it was what I observed. It was what I um, did my research on. It was my decision. I took that to the board and I said, you know, for the, long range of the organization. This is the path I think we need to go down. And, um, and this is the path that the path has led here. And how do we get there? Well, these are the steps I think we need to put in place. And they accepted that and, and we moved on. So yeah, it was a, it was a tough call. Reggie was a professional, like he's always been. Um, and, and he did, a, he, he and I had a, a good exit. It was, it was very good. Was it results based? Was it, um, organizational or, or was it a, a big picture reason for not giving Reggie maybe another year or two to, to really put his plan in place? Yeah. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. And, and the way I explained it to everybody when, when we did have the calls is, you know, there was a couple of different pockets. Obviously results are what results are. We're all judged by our report card mm-hmm. and we were one in 12. We weren't a good team. I'm not going to lie and say, you know, this, that, and the other thing, we, we weren't a good team. And the staff that we dealt with were the ones that picked that team, and they were the ones that um, coached that team. And they were the ones that were responsible for our game preparation and, and how we played in those games. And I used that as one judge. And, um, and, and, and what I saw was I was looking for more progression. Um, I didn't see it. And that was my opinion. So I want everyone to understand that. Um, and, and that was one thing. Was it the main factor? No, it wasn't the main factor. Again, I think there was three to four pockets that I put together that made the whole decision. Then I had the opportunity when I got here to do, they, they put me in charge of the organization on the business and lacrosse side thing. So I took the business side first and really had to work on fixing that part of it. And, and obviously, again, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We didn't have great crowds the whole year. And um, the last couple of crowds were our best ones. Our last crowd that we had there was our best attended one and our, be- and our best revenue generating one. And then the last three before they were canceled, they were going to trend to be the, if not the best, but in the top three of our, of our best games. So we were moving the business side into that direction. And then, as you know, from running an organ or seeing an organization, you know, if the business side doesn't mesh with the lacrosse side, then we become two different organizations. And I thought that we were, we were two different organizations at one point, and we couldn't have that to really move forward with a future plan. And then I observed from the outside, because I really wasn't that involved when I first got here on the lacrosse side from when you and I first talked. I, I wasn't involved. And then the owners said, okay, we're going to officially make you in charge of everything. And then I got in on the inside, mm-hmm. and I started to evaluate from there. And like every organization, there's philosophies. And there's, there was the staff philosophy and there was my philosophy. Um, there was a philosophy that I thought should be the right direction for the team and the organization to go in. 
And, um, and that played a factor into it too. When you, um, you know, you ask questions and you observe and you watch and you interview people and you, you look for every stone to unturn because it's, it's a hard decision, right? You're affecting people's lives. And I get that. I don't take it, ser- I don't take it not seriously when I'm, when I'm affecting someone's life. So I didn't leave one stone unturned to find out any information I could possibly find out. And when I put all those into the factors and put them all on pieces of paper, the, the, result, the result pointed me in this direction. And that's a tough decision, too, because you look at it the way I do things, and I'm sure other people do things differently. I, um, I want to lead with my head and my heart in the same spot. And um, it took me a while to, to really look at everything and get it. And from a business standpoint, this made sense. From a heart standpoint, um, I, I went through it until they both became aligned. And then I, when the decision was made, that's where my heart takes in. And then I lead with my heart on how I wanted to do it and explain the other side with my head of why we came to it. And that's hopefully um, the, re- the respectful way I think it should be done. And hopefully that's what came across when I, when I did have the conversations ultimately. I truly believe that Reggie was put in a tough spot as, as a both GM and as a head coach for an extension. That's never easy. Um, it, no. it, it hasn't really worked in the national crossing before where as an expansion team, like teams have tried to do it before with the expansion teams. Give a guy complete autonomous um, control with GM and head coach. I truly believe Reggie was put in a tough spot having both of those roles. Are you looking to bring in someone – for each role? It's a good question. I've been asked that a lot. And I think if I, and, and the way I thought about this is that, that I, I don't want to put any shackles on anything and I don't want to put any constraints on anything. If I find the right person that can do both jobs, then I will look for that person. Mm-hmm. If I find a person that can be a great head coach and is a little green on the GM side of things, but wants to learn, then I'll, then I'll look and see what goes into that. Um, but I think if I come right owners too, if I automatically say, I'm only looking for this, I think I limit the pool of who these, who, who we can bring in here. And my problem is that this is a big hire. This isn't a hire for one year. This isn't yeah. a hire for two years. This is a 10 to 15 year hire. This is, this is a plan. And the other thing I said to the owners and I said it to the players too is when I met with them is that, you know, I would be remiss if I sat in front of you guys and said, oh, my God, we're going to change everything and we're going to make the playoffs and win the championship next year. To me, that isn't a recipe for success. A recipe for success is having a five- to ten-year plan and setting, setting expectations that are realistic. And I know what's in front of us, and I'm going to set realistic expectations. That takes a certain person. So if I circle back, like if I put constraints on it that it's got to be a guy like this, then I'm, I'm, I'm limiting the pool, and I don't want to limit the pool for this. Where are you looking um, for your next head coach, GF? I am uncovering every stone again. Like you go through and you look at guys that have NLL head coaching experience, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You go through and you look at the, the guys who maybe don't have NLL head coaching experience, but have NLL coaching experience at that, at that secondary level that's ready to make that next jump. And we've seen that work. We've seen that. Um, we've seen people, people really do that. You know, when I, when I, when we hired Glenn Clark, 
Like mm-hmm. Glenn wasn't in the league for a while, right? But we thought this was the right leader we wanted. When Matt Sawyer jumped onto Toronto, he was out of the league for a little while, but he had the pedigree of being a coach and understanding it. So um, I think we're going to look in that direction. I don't believe, you know, we're not going to close the door on anybody that's had NLL head coaching experience, but I'm, I'm certainly not going to close the door on anyone that hasn't had head coaching experience but has had experience in the NLL and, and look there. Um, and, there, and there could be guys that, uh, you know, come out of the woodwork that you don't know. Again, I don't want to close the door on anybody. Um, have you closed the door on yourself being general manager? <laughs> That's a tough question. You know, um, <laughs> you know, again, we're going to look for the best possible people at the best possible position. I, I said it to Steven Stamp. I can tell you I've closed the door on me coaching. That'll never happen. <laughs> um, uh, the, the other parts of it, we'll see how it plays out. You mentioned you've spoken with the players um, about this decision. How did they take it? You know what? Professional, really, really good. Um, I'm a big proponent, and you and I have talked a lot about a lot of things. And I'm an open book, and I like to be an open book. And I think that's the only way an organization can really run, is that everyone's on the same page. Um, the minute we, we talked to the, to the staff and did that, my next call was to a full staff call with everybody in our front office staff to let them know. And then my next call was to the players. We had a good contingent of players. It's hard with the working and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I had, a, I think we had like 21 of the 25 guys on the call. And, um, and I laid it out exactly the way I laid it out to the staff that we talked to, exactly the way I laid it out to the people that I talked to that we, that we parted ways with. So they knew exactly what was said. Because again, it bothers me when people interpret things or you get that game of phone where this starts here and then it ends up here. I want you to hear it from the horse's mouth. So um, I, I had a, a very in-depth, open conversation with them. They asked questions. Um, they, they got those questions answered honestly. And, and we moved on from there. I can judge it by saying when everything was done, I did get a bunch of texts saying thank you. That was some of the best conversations we've had and, and, and not just this team, but other places. And, uh, and we believe in what you're saying and we're behind you. Do you have a, a timeline of when you want this decision made by, you know, I, I'm thinking we don't have to rush and have it done by, you know, next week or the week after. Um, I have some really good candidates that we're looking at. I have some really good uh, uh, things we're, we're looking to do. You're looking for a whole staff, you know, you're looking, you know, for assistant coaches and equipment guys. And so it's a lot of different things we're playing into it. You know, in my mind, I would think, you know, second week of July-ish time frame, um, that could be a good time to really look at it. By then I should have gotten through what I want to get through, um, present it to the owners, bring in the right people, let them present themselves to the owners. And that still gives me time based on, you know, still that September 17th draft date that. July, August, September. So we should, we'll be ready for the draft. August 1st is usually free agency. We'll be ready for free agency. Um, but anybody that we interview, cause someone asked me, well, is that too late? And this and that. Well, hopefully the guy and, and it, I haven't done my job that if I pick somebody to be the head coach and they're not prepared for the draft or free agency in the middle of July, then, and they're going to start then, then I've made the wrong hire. So, um, most of the people we talk to will be ready to go by then. So I think that's probably what I'm thinking. 
You mentioned the team went one and twelve. It, it was a bit of a slow start for you guys, but there are some bright spots within that group. You know, Tyson Gibson, number one overall pick, had a fantastic rookie season. Dan Lomas uh, had a career year coming back from kind of insecure, not insecurity, but just was was kind of getting caught in the waves of the other teams he was playing. Connor Kelly was great. Uh, John Luke Stretner started to show. Uh, Travis Longboat was a fantastic rookie. Like you have some good pieces. Where do you think your strength is as a lacrosse club right now? Right now, I think our strength is um, our offense. I yeah. think we're in a good position based on to um, the draft and, and our draft picks and where we're going to be next year. And, and based on the strengths up there, I think you hit on a bunch of really good pieces. I mean, Tyson Gibson obviously was the first pick in the draft. Connor Kelly is always someone that I liked even when I was in New England. Travis Longboat was a huge surprise. On the other side, you've mentioned Chetner. You've mentioned Dan Lomas. I mean, I, I take my hat off to Reggie and those guys and, and Dan himself for the perseverance that he's had and, and what he went through to get here um, and, and get a chance to really try out for this team. And he shined. And as you can see, was, at the end of the year, he was one of our award winners. And mm-hmm. then Kiernan McArdle is another guy that I don't think we've seen um, the best of Kiernan McArdle here in New York. I know he started off slow. We had a lot of lefties. We, he got moved to the back door. Um, those things, you know, I, I think with another year under his belt in New York and coming home and playing in front of family and friends, that's a tough thing too, right? Like a lot of the Toronto guys are used to that. A lot of the American guys yeah. aren't. And, um, and that's a factor, right? Because, you know, you, you see it because you travel with the team. You play at home and everyone wants tickets and everyone wants to see you and everyone yeah. wants to do this and your sleep pattern is out. So, you know, that's, I'm not saying those are excuses for him, but I'm saying now that he's got a year under his belt, I'd really like to see that. Um, I think Gail Thorpe had a good year. You know, Gail came in out of uh, another American kid that, that came in out of college and probably scored the biggest goal in, in one of the, him and Dan McCray had the two biggest goals in our history. What yeah. a brief history we had, but he tied the game and Dan won that game that we had our one win. So I think that offense is probably our our strength and we can build off of that with what's going to happen in the draft and free agency and stuff. I think we need help on the defensive side. I'm not taking away anything from the defensive players at all. Dan McCray, Andrew Suter, John Wagner, uh, Ryan Fournier. Uh, I think we have some good pieces, Scott Johnson, Cody Radowitz. Like we have some good pieces to build off of. Um, but my first inclination coming in and watching the team was I didn't even watch the offense. I watched the defense and I said, we got to, we got to fix some pieces here. And that's exactly what we did in New England. We rebuilt the defense the way we wanted it to be, and goaltending fell into it. And I think, you know, that's something I have to concentrate in the offseason. It's going to be that defense and, uh, and, and, and goaltending. I think we have two good goaltenders. They are going to battle it out. And, uh, and, and we saw glimpses of both of them. And I want one of them to step forward and carry the rain. That's going to be up to who it is. Those two have got to look each other in the face and say, who's going to be the guy to step forward and take this? Um, I hope one of them do, because I think we could, we could ride both. We could ride either one of them and we got to put a better defense in front of them and, and work on that. And that's, that's my first and foremost thing. Have you reached out to Miles Jones and, and seen his interest in continue? It's funny you say that. I have talked to Miles a bunch when we were in New England. Um, Talked to him very, very, very briefly when I got here. And I've done, I'm starting to do what I call exit interviews with the players. Mm-hmm. And he is on the docket for me to talk to here in the next week or two. It's just, we've been trying to get our schedules together. 
but he's right. an interesting one that I want to talk to. Um, he, he, he could be a big X factor, right? Uh, he, yeah. he's got all the tools. I, I want to talk to him and find out commitment. I want to talk to him and find out how he thought the year went. I want to find out a self-assessment on what he thinks he needs to work on. And then, and, and then I want to see if we can work it out that he stays. But uh, again, that's going to be an in-depth conversation Miles and I have to have. Yeah. Um, what, what's going to be the biggest, like you mentioned adding defense and goal setting, but, but structurally wise with the uh, mental focus within the organization, what's the biggest change you have to make mentally for this organization for you guys to put the right mindset and have the same goal? You know what? I think we got to change the culture. Yeah. Um, I said it from the beginning when I got here, when I did exit interviews with some of the guys, some of the words that I heard was, and, and, and words that I heard in, in a bad sense. I heard pride in a bad sense. I heard passion in a bad sense. I heard promises in bad sense. Um, I don't like that. That's not who I am. It's not what we built in New England, and I hate to keep saying that, but that's my, my, where I just came from. And, and that was a tough build because when I was in New England, people used to say to us after our first year, you guys will never get anyone that wants to come and play in New England. It's too far. It's this. It's that. It's not a real city. It's Uncasville, blah, 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 blah. And I think the culture we built there um, with, with what we did is a place that people want to play. And that's a tight team. Um, I didn't see that here. And I want to take those words and turn them around. I um, also put together a, a business tactical plan for the office, uh, how we can move forward on the business side. And, um, and I told them that the one thing I want to have happen on the business side is I want to be the premier team in the NLL on the business side. And I want to be the premier team in the NLL on the off the field side. And all of those things play into those three P's that I said before. I'm going to take the word um, pride, passion, and promises and turn them into positives. And if we can do those three things and have pride in who we are and what we do, if we can have passion in who we are and what we do, because then that leads into the promise because a promise is different than a guarantee. Guarantee is done just by word of mouth. I'm going to guarantee you this. I'm going to guarantee you this. A promise is done from the heart. And with passion and pride, you, when you make a promise to somebody. So when I put those three P's in place on both sides of the ledger, on the business side and the lacrosse side, the fourth P falls into place and we become the premier team in the league. So we're going to live by the, by P to the fourth power the whole year. I'm ready to run through a wall right now, Rick. I appreciate that. <laughs> I get a little, I get a little jacked up. You can hear I love it. I, I get love a little it. crazy. I'm out walking. I'm thinking I'm up to like my fifth, sixth mile already. Um, okay. Well, let's, so I, let's, I let's stay there. Let's stay there. You guys are doing a, a virtual 5k run. Is that what you guys are doing? Obviously that's all you because you're the runner of the family. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I wanted to do. And I tried to do it in New England too. We just couldn't get it off the ground and, and stuff. So I said, you know what? During this whole pandemic, um, let's see what we can do. So we tied in with Headstrong a couple months ago and did one for them called the, uh, it was, it was about the kids who got their season taken away. So it was the last play type thing. And we did that. We raised a lot of money and had a lot of runners. So, um, my goal is to have a real 5k and I don't mean a virtual isn't a real 5k, but to have a real 5k based around one of our games. 
So I was going to take the last game of the year, our fan appreciation game, and, and kind of build a 5K around it, have it be like a, a whole festival, family atmosphere, fun run during the day, and then go right into the game in the afternoon. And, um, and, and then this whole thing hit, so we couldn't do it. So we changed, the, uh, we changed it around, and this will be our inaugural um, 5K. We're going to do it virtually this year, and then next year will be our second annual 5K and, and so forth and so on. And, and I'm going to have the players do it, too. It's going to be fun. You're going to be able to, uh, when we get back to live stuff, you're going to be able to run with the players and, the, and our cheerleaders and our mascot and have them in your groups. And, and I joked around with the goalies a little bit, and I'm like, well, if you guys don't want to run, you can be in the, the fun run, the fun walk for a mile <laughs> and stuff, and we can do that and stuff. So I want that, to, I want that connection. So, yeah, running is, you know, it's been my thing, and, 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 and I wanted to incorporate that here. So how you mentioned, you know, the pride, passion, and promises, and building all those three P's to get become the premier team um, to to continue to get fans out. And you talked about how, you know, as the season went on, you were starting to see an uptick in revenue and an uptick in fans coming through the gate. How are we going to continue that after we just stop the season three quarters of the way? We're not having playoffs. We're not going to be, you know, seeing any lacrosse for for four or five more months. How do you restart the engine to get all those fans back and, and start where you left off? How do you get more fans in? Man, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Right. And I wish I had the million-dollar answer. And the only thing I can say is that I think this is where blocking and tackling comes in. And I think this is where you come up with ten ideas, you whittle it down to five that you can really block and tackle with and, and, and put them in place. And I think engagement is a big deal. And I think, you know, during this whole pandemic, um, I, I take my hat off to my staff and it, it truly, truly, truly is all of them. Um, they got really creative and they got really into it and they got really into the blocking and tackling and, and getting some ideas out there. And we've launched things like our own podcast and we've launched Spotify lists and we launched a virtual 5k and we tied in with Headstrong for another virtual 5k. We're launching a thing called the Virtual Beach House that's going to be coming out soon where all of our content lives in one spot on our website. You know, I, 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 we launched TikTok. Don't ask me what it is. I don't really know it. I don't really get it. But we launched it, and we had a, a video the other day have a million and a half views, and it's the best video out there. So um, those things, engagement is what we need to keep doing. And I think that will keep us in, in place. I think the one, one of the good things we did right when this started is we took our players and we had them call the season ticket holders and we didn't have them hard sell. There wasn't a sales aspect to it. It was more of, Hey, how are you and your family doing? How's this affecting you? That's my adopted city, Long Island. What can we do to help? And a lot of them said, you know, my kids aren't here. Could you do a video? So we did videos for the kids and sent it to them and stuff. And that engagement is really what I think is going to keep us connected to when we get back. You know, I just got off the phone with our director of ticket sales and we didn't have a chance to do our fan appreciation game where we were going to give out our gift. And our gift this year is a piece of the floor that the guys played on and we cut it up and put it on a plaque and numbered them for the season ticket holders. And, you know, I'm sitting on those now. So we put together a plan that we're going to take a couple of the players that are local, Eddie, our mascot, and we're going to do our own like drive-bys to people's houses and honk the horns and have balloons and thank the season ticket holders and, and get out and hand them their gift at their house, at their front door. 
And those are the things that this allowed us to do to get more granular and more grassrootsy with people to really get into that and, and get into the fabric of who they are. And hopefully that will translate into whatever the new normal is that, that comes out of this. But we've seen, we've seen really good engagement with that so far. Last week, I, I spoke with Trevor Baptiste on everything that he went through and, and being a black man in America growing up and being a black man in the lacrosse world growing up and the diversity of our sport. When you look at the grand picture of lacrosse and the lack of diversity in it, how do we change that? How do we continue to have open arms to people of color for our sport? That's a good question. And you know what? I really, again, I probably say this a little too much, but I take my hat off to the San Diego Seals organization. I read their, I read their release that they put out, their statement they put out, Joe and, yes. and Steve Govett and Josh and those guys. And I was, I was, I was really moved by it. And, um, and again, they really hit on a lot of things in there, right? Lacrosse is perceived as this and not this. A lot of people don't realize that lacrosse comes from the Native American culture. And not the, you know, the, 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 the rich houses nowadays. in Eastern New York. <laughs> exactly. So there was a lot. And I really, really, really salute them. Um, I, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm very taken back by that conversation and what they put out. And, and, uh, it really made me reflect on everything. And you know what? We all do this. Like we say lacrosse is for everybody, but we gotta make lacrosse for everybody. We just can't say it. We got to live it and we got to go out and do what's right to move this forward for our sport. Lacrosse can be for everybody. Is it for everybody? I, it's hard for me to judge that, right? It's hard for me to say that in the position I'm in as who I am. And when you listen to guys like Trevor Baptiste and you listen to guys like Kyle Harrison and you listen to guys like Brent Adams and people like that that talk about what they, they've gone through, yeah, lacrosse is for everyone, but we really need to live that. And I think that's something that we all have to embrace. And when you sit down and listen, I'm one of the guys that sit down and come up with our theme nights every year and everyone puts down lacrosse is for everyone. And what does that mean? Like, okay, we do a free clinic here or this or that. But this year, I'm going to tell you when we sit down and talk about lacrosse is for everyone, that's going to be a longer conversation. And that's going to be a longer game plan. And that is going to be something that we live by. And it truly has to be. It's not just words. It needs to be how we all, how we all look at this sport because it can be one of those sports that, that really embraces people and can change and can change what the perception is right now. And, and I'd like to help do that. And I, and we're going to do it here in New York. A couple more minutes with you here, Rich, while, while we move on. I know, I know it's, it's a busy day and you're still, I can hear the gravel under your feet. You're out enjoying nature. Um, I was watching, uh, NXT in your house over the weekend, a WWE pay-per-view and, and they're continually holding events with no fans. Um, and sporting events around the world are holding events with no fans. The Korean baseball is putting stuffed animals in the stands to look like people are there. How odd would it have been to hold a lacrosse game with no fans? You know, it would, it would, it would almost feel like preseason in a way, right? Like we do a yeah. lot of games at the track 
and yeah. where there's no fans. And we do a lot of games in Philadelphia where there's no fans. Um, so I think our players, and we're kind of, I don't want to say used to it, but it wouldn't be a foreign, be a foreign thing for us because we have played official NLL games right. with no fans. Um, so I, I think that it would have been a little different than some of these other sports that once you leave the college area or your high school area, um, when you're into the pro level, you don't have that, right? Even exhibition games in, in baseball, you're playing against a packed crowd down in the Grapefruit League or the, or the, the Cactus League. With us, when we, when we play Saskatchewan on a Saturday in November at the track, it's us and, and mm-hmm. Saskatchewan playing. So I think we kind of would have been a little bit, uh, wouldn't have been as a culture shock as maybe some of the other sports. Do I want to see that happen? Absolutely not. I think when you come to an NLL game and you're probably one of our biggest proponents of the excitement of the game and what happens and the music and the, the, everything that goes on with it, you know, I want fans to see that and understand it. It's going to be harder for us to sell our product if we can't have as many fans in there as possible, especially for an organization like mine that is not an established organization like a Buffalo or something. I'm still selling this box across to the island of New York and I want as many people to be exposed to it. So I think it's going to present challenges to us. Um, but then again, I love challenges. And uh, I like to look a challenge in the face and say, okay, how can we fix this? So uh, I am looking forward to that challenge. What's your greatest Ric Flair memory? This is so random, but I watched a Ric Flair doc. Oh, I got a good one. And now we're trying I got a great one. So, yeah, please. I got a good one. When he first came in and wrestled in the Royal Rumble in Sacramento, yeah, California, I, remember. I believe it was, I was there, and um, I wasn't, was I the marketing rep? I might have been the marketing rep for that, or I was helping the person who did it. And we, we stayed, we were, in, um, Sanford, we were in Sacramento for a couple of weeks. We used to go out ahead of schedule and stuff. And, you know, Rick's coming in, and they're trying to keep it quiet in some way, but he's going to be in there. And I think that event, he started off like one of the first participants. It might have went 60 minutes or something. And when we got to the bar afterwards, which was a pay-per-view all in itself, um, when, we, when we used to go out, Rick walks in, first time I ever met him, and he walks up and uh, he says, how are you? I'm Rick Flair. I got a rich list. I'm the marketing rep here. And he's like, great to meet you. He goes, excuse me, climbs up on the bar goes through the whole thing of I'm a limousine riding, kiss stealing, shoe wearing, the whole thing, marches up and down the bar, throws his credit card down, and we didn't pay for a drink for the rest of the night. Wow. And uh, that was a fun time with Rick. <laughs> yeah. And it was I, it literally because I happened to be standing near the door when he came yeah, in. And yeah. And it, it was fun. I just, well, the big takeaway I got from, from watching the documentary that I watched, and this is very sort of like 80s, 90s wrestlers, was that back in those days, they truly lived their in-ring persona outside of the ring as well. And Ric Flair was the wheeling, dealing, jet-flying, kiss-dealing son of a gun. Like, that's how he was going through wives, he was going through girlfriends, burning money, bankruptcy. Like, he lived it, but he experienced all the highs and lows of lacrosse, sorry, of wrestling. Um, and that was one of the things that made him so great. And he just never wanted to stop. He just continually wanted to wrestle and put on a show. Well, you, you, you hit it on the head, right? Like, look at some of the real successful people that were wrestlers. And, and there are times I use this in my life. Like, and, and, and even when we're running different organizations and we're running this across organizations, 
the people that are true to themselves, the people that have pride and passion and make a promise to be authentic, those are the guys that really made it in that business. Guys like Ric Flair, guys like The Rock, when, you, when, he finally, uh, when they finally let, the, let him open and let him do what he had to do when he wasn't Rocky Maivia in that outfit. Yeah, yeah. Stone Cold Steve <laughs> that Austin. was a like an open. <laughs> you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, when they yeah. finally let him be Stone Cold Steve Austin, look what happened. The yeah. Undertaker. Like, even how The Undertaker's character has evolved from when he first came in to who he was, they had pride, passion, and they promised to be true to themselves, and they became the premier of what they did, and those were the guys who got over, quote-unquote. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. They got over because they were who they were. Yeah. And that's what, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an identity that you need to have in a culture. So, yeah, those guys, Ric Flair, absolutely. He is what he is. He, he, he is who he is, yeah. and there's no fakeness there. You know, those are, when we go back and look at some of the old characters, like when I was there, we went PG and Zerker and, uh, you know, Repo Man and, you know, those type of things. Those characters didn't really get over. Yeah. Like how many, uh, Kane was Kane Kane, and that's what he was. And then they made him Dr. Isaac Yankee. Yeah. 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 But I I just love, yeah, I love the the guys who have been in the industry for like 20 odd years and have been three or four different characters. It just shows the progression and evolution um, of them as a person, of a wrestler, as an actor. How have you progressed as a GM and now as an executive? Um, How have, how has Rich Lisk changed his persona over the last half decade? Oh my God. I used to listen. I was on the road with the wrestlers, right? I ran, I did 300 days out of 300 years, 300 days out of 365. I was work, 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 work. And, and I had to learn and I had a short temper. Like I figured, you know, when, when you're younger and you want to establish yourself, what's the easiest thing to do to try to be maybe bigger than what you are or try to be a hard guy more than what you are. And, and, you know, I struggled with that a little bit. And then when I first became a, you know, assistant GM in a, in a professional sports team, I was 29 years old. I wasn't even 30 years old at that point. And you got to develop a style that works. And I think I'm a much, much, much better listener now. Um, I'm a much better at, accepting who I am and not trying to be someone I'm not. Um, you know, there's always this persona that people think you should be when you're, uh, when you're at a certain level. And listen, I am who I am. I like to wear flip-flops a lot. I like to be at the beach. I, uh, I'm outgoing. I cried on your podcast. Yeah. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. That's who I am. I probably wouldn't have never done that years ago when I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Um, but this style works for me now. And this is how I, 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 I've developed. And I can tell you when I was younger, that wasn't it. You know, I was probably a different person at that point. You still have the core of who you are. It's the other parts around you that you want to mold to match the core of who you are. And I think that's just maturity. Like, I had to mature, you know, and, and, and stuff. But I never lost who I was at the core. Um, I, I just had to make everything else fit around it and, and work it out that way. 
Are we going to see a, a dramatic heel turn anytime soon? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It's, it's so funny you say that because, you know, listen, we're all, we're in the business and we used to ride around in cars and we used to talk about it. And they'd be like, you know, what would your persona be? And what would yeah. you do? And we all fantasized about it. And I was, and when I traveled with Diesel a lot, you know, one of the things he used to say to me was, Rich, don't worry about it. I'm seven feet tall, 360 pounds. What's going to get us in trouble? Like, yeah, that might get us in trouble. So I, was, I, I always thought my persona would be, you know, the guy that kind of hung out with these guys and then been like, well, you know, let's talk about this a little bit. Like, he wasn't that bad, and let's get him out of this. And let's get him out of this. And, and, uh, and we would joke a lot about it. Um, I don't know if I'd be a good heel. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd be a good heel. I'm sure I got it in me at times to do it, but I think at the end I'd give you that little sly smile. I think I'd be more like what Diesel was because we traveled so much together and, and became friends. Like I'd probably drag the belt behind me, you know, not give it, you know, you give it respect by not showing it respect. Like I don't really need this, but I got it. It's mine. And I would drag it behind me and do that little, you know, over the shoulder, half smile type thing. I think that's uh, that that straddles the line. Oh, my friend, you have uh, a championship to tow and uh, a title to chase. You have a lot of work ahead of you, but I appreciate the time. And uh, I'm very interested to see the moves you make, who you bring in, and what the New York Riftside look uh, when we all get back on the floor soon. Appreciate your time as always, Rich. Uh, always. I always have a pleasure, Teddy. Thank you so much for having me. I really do. That's Rich Lisk, Executive Vice President of GF Sports, and the man tasked with finding a new head coach and general manager of the New York Riptide. It will be interesting to see which direction he goes. Because we've often talked about where are the next coaches going to come from. As much as some feel, and I'm kind of in that boat a little bit, that the goaltending position is going to need a lot of help from the next generation of young goalies coming up. I, th- I think that finding the coaching of the next group of expansion teams, the next group of coaches coming up, will be difficult. However, these are the times when you get to have those experiences as, as a young coach to possibly get your first shot. Is it going to be somebody who's been toiling as uh, an O coach or D coach for a few years? Is it somebody in the ALL or somebody coaching in the Canadian Summer Leagues that hasn't quite gotten an NLL job yet? Maybe we'll see a name from the past come back. Right? Like there are still some names out there that probably feel they have the ability to coach in the NLL still probably have a relationship with a lot of the guys still in the NLL. Maybe those guys are going to get a call from Rich Lisk. I think more interesting is the general manager spot. Because you have to have somebody who is already putting plans in place and has a huge grasp of both the Canadian game and the American collegiate game. You can't just put someone in a position that doesn't see the big picture. This is a story that will be a huge off-season 
for the New York Riptide going into what may be almost even bigger than their first offseason expansion draft and their first entry draft. Yes, those are all major things in your first year. But now it's your second season. You're kind of starting the slate clean with a new GM and head coach. So where and how will you build this team as that GM? There was always talk in pro sports that a general manager wants his coach and is the guy that should be sort of having the say in who the coach is. So does Rich Lisk go and find himself a general manager first and then worry about the head coaching job? Is it going to be the same person? I still think that is a very tough role to pull off in the National Cross League. There still are a few that do it. But to do it for an expansion team is very, very tough. You have so many things to worry about. So I look forward to seeing what Rich does and and who he interviews and who he talks to and who he eventually ends up deciding on because, like I said, going into this draft is huge. Going into free agency is huge. They need to be busy and active. They need a lot of work out the back. They need to fill some holes, like I said. They need to find some solutions quick. And I think they need to get some lucky bounces go their way. We'll wait and see. Uh, Rich, as always, thank you for your time, sir. Love the story of Ric Flair just climbing up in the bar and, and doing his whole gimmick. Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, jet flying, wheeling dealing, son of a gun. Classic. Classic. I wonder who's the Ric Flair personality of the NLL. Do we even have one? Like, I know Ric Flair is on a grand scheme of life and personality, but take the money and the glitz and glamour away. But who's that personality of the NLL? Going to have to think on that. Uh, Before we get out of here, the Premier Lacrosse League, the PLL, has announced where PLL Island is going to be. And this is on the heels of the UFC announcing they're going to Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. So maybe there was thoughts of PLO going to Bermuda. There's the cross down there. It's a beautiful spot. Great weather. Great locale. Great scenery. But no! They're not going to Bermuda. So maybe Hawaii. It's still in the United States. There's obviously a long-standing lacrosse tradition in Hawaii with the annual Hawaii Invitational Tournament. Great scenery. Great surroundings. Great atmosphere. But no! Maybe Vancouver Island. Right up here. We love lacrosse. We got water. We got scenery. But no! They're going to the islands of Utah. Now, when I heard Utah... Yes, mountain vistas, beautiful skyline, incredible sunsets, skiing, all that good stuff. The salt lakes, I usually don't think islands. However, thanks to my good friends at Lugal, I found out that there are truly islands in Utah, including Dolphin Island, Stansbury Island, Cub Island, 
Gunnison Island, and Fremont Island. Most of those are all in one little area in a lake in the northern part of the state. However, they're going. So, in July, the PLL will be going to Utah for their self-contained bubble tournament. And the PLL Championship Series is going to Utah. And I think it is going to be fantastic. I have no issues with it. I love it. I think it is going to be absolutely fantastic that they have a place to play, that they are going to be on NBC Sports in the time slot that was supposed to be the Olympics, so it's going to be prime time. And it's going to be the best field across players in the world playing at a high tempo on TV for everybody to see. I got no issues with it. I love it. I think it's absolutely going to be fantastic. July 25th to August 9th, the NLL goes to Salt Lake City. Can't wait. Got a couple feelers out with the PLL to get somebody on next week. I think it's going to happen, so stay tuned for more. But that'll about do it for another week. NLL Awards coming very soon. Pick your NLL fantasy team. Get set for the PLL Island in Utah. And let's all keep eyes on what Rich Lisk does out on the island. My name's Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Until we speak again, stay safe, keep smiling, and be excellent to each other. I am an apple.